Welcome, friends, to Historical AF. I'm Keena. I'm Will. Hi. We are a historian and a special guest bringing you the funny and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is Dogs Part 1. <laughs> Yay, I'm so excited. This is Will from Fatal Fortunes Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. I am a shameless dog mom, so I am so pumped about this theme. I'm also a dog dad, so I'm excited about this as well. <laughs> the animal themes tend to be really funny. and Yeah. Which, I, like I said, it's going to be morbid, but it's going to be morbid light. I wasn't going to touch any like super sad stories this theme. I just can't do it. Yeah, I don't like anything super morbid about dogs or, or even like seeing dogs in movies dying. Like that's like the worst death in any movie. So Oh, yeah. I can't watch anything like a military dog movie. Nope. Never going to happen. Yeah. I'm sure they're good. I absolutely yeah. think some of them are fantastic movies. I just can't. I can't. Yeah. My heart can't take it. <laughs> it's always like German Shepherds, too, I feel like, too. Oh, like, God, right? in Halloween, there's a German Shepherd that dies. In I Am Legend, that <gasps> zombie yes! movie. It's like, oh. and I feel like I've seen some other ones. But, yeah, German Shepherds need some better representation in media. <laughs> they do. They need to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I am legend. I never watched it because I heard about the dog scene, but I used to run a teen center and the teens were like, I want to watch this movie. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, fine. And I just I was like, just warn me when it's coming so I can look away. And they're like, we will, Miss Kina. And then uh, <laughs> they did not. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. I hated it. Uh, John Wick, still traumatized. And it's like in the first 10 minutes. I was like, what is this? Why did we pay for this? <laughs> it was but dogs have a lot of really fun history, and it's going to be a good theme. So first, let's talk about your podcast. Tell everybody what it's about. Sure. So I am the co-host of Fatal Fortunes. I do it with my friend Al, and we started it, so started like developing it in November of 2020, and we just found that we were really fascinated by people who lived kind of these fascinating, but tragic lives you know like people like amy winehouse and mm. marilyn Monroe. we're not going to touch on them yet because we kind of want to do people that you know like our friends aren't that familiar with and like and even we're not that familiar with like uh we just did an episode on dorothy dandridge who was the first black woman to be nominated for best actress for the oscars in 1954 or something like that um yeah. and she lived a really really interesting and inspiring life, but also a lot of tragic sort of hardships in her life. And she died at the age of 42, I think. And so we're kind of touching on people that, you know, sort of lived life on the edge a little bit and sort of might've had their death come a little bit too soon, you know, mm -hmm. and we're kind of talking about their legacy and sort of what their lives mean to us and like what we find fascinating and, after Dorothy, which we just recorded that episode, so that'll be up on Tuesday. We're going to do Selena, which is, you know, yeah, the Selena. And we're really kind of like, we know that has like a cult-like following and oh yeah, they're so <laughs> passionate about her. So we're really going to try to find as much good information about her and watch everything. And but yeah, I'm excited I live by San Antonio. So like Selena's oh, bridge really? and right. her statue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I love her music. It's so it just like makes you feel good when you listen yeah. to it. 
Yeah, yeah, she is a legend. And we found that there's a lot of themes in, in even in the episodes we've done. We did an episode on JFK Jr. and Carolyn Bissett Kennedy and mm-hmm. Princess Margaret. And, you know, those were kind of our modern royals that we did. But we're going to do like a lot of artists and musicians and stuff. There's definitely themes about people that steal the show. They're all like scene stealers, you know, and then. Mm-hmm. There, there comes a point where they kind of, you know, have a like sort of dark fall in their life and then they kind of rise up again, you know, reclaim their life and then it cuts short. And like, yeah, that's a theme that we're finding is that, you know, when they lose a lot, they try to reclaim and get back on top of things. And then, you know, it's, it ends and it's really sad, but they have legacies and that's yeah. why... It's good to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I love about so many history podcasts coming out. But it's just like different takes on history and just ways of presenting them that are so fascinating. I just love it. So what got you into history? I don't know. I mean, I've always just been really fascinated by like human history, by like really like interesting stories. And I mean, I work in the entertainment industry and I like the history of like actors who I really admire and artists and also some spooky history too. I'm not like too much of a true crimer, but I, I do have like occasional bits where I'll like, I'll binge watch like a true crime Netflix series or I'll do like a deep dive, you know, like, so I'm an occasional true crimer, but when it's good, it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The true crime stuff right now, there's some really good documentaries out right now. I've been, I know there's been so in. much. Oh, yeah. but I do love the spooky. I think, my favorite part about spooky is I think it tricks people into liking history. Do you like spooky conspiracies or like the, you know, weird stuff? Yeah. Couldn't think of words. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm smart. Yeah. I mean, we do kind of lean into like, you know, conspiracy theories and, and spooky ghost like stuff sometimes, but you know, we'll kind of say them sometimes more objectively, like, yeah. you know, well, that's fun. Well, I know like the Kennedy curse and then there's the conspiracy about Marilyn Monroe. Well, I'm convinced she was murdered too. So yeah. <laughs> so that's really fascinating. I am excited for you. It's like a little baby. Podcast. Yes, it's really blossoming now. It's, you know, in its budding stage, but I feel like, you know, we're having fun and we've had some good feedback from, you know, fans of the different figures we've covered so far so uh yeah i'm excited how do you find the people like you've not heard of do you just do a deep dive into like a topic and then see if you can find somebody fun that you've never heard of i mean it's kind of a mix i mean we we do people that we have heard of or you know that the other person hasn't heard of another person that we're gonna do and i don't know if we're gonna do them this season but i really want to do one on diane fossey do you know about her at all i don't think so she was basically the jane goodall of gorillas and she was murdered while she was like studying gorillas in the field because i think her assistant or something killed her because he stole like the man he wanted to steal the manuscript for her book that she was writing and it's like this whole it's like this really you know bizarre crazy story and i feel like a lot of people don't know about it there was a sigourney weaver movie that she played her, you know, it's kind of like a story that like the past generations might know. So we're kind of, you know, leaning into that a little bit. And, you know, people that aren't like top of the head 
icons that have so much done about them you know mm-hmm. like like we would love to do something on like marilyn monroe or like amy i uh, not amy adams <laughs> we want to do it when we have like a interesting fresh angle to take yeah. you know so all right do we want to jump right into the puppy yeah dog? let's do it get that puppy dog like i said in the beginning i have morbid and like i said it could have gone super dark but i didn't want to <laughs> it's my podcast i can do what i want so we're going to talk about an ancient pupper that has ties to the underworld. We're going to talk about the ancient and fascinating history of the Sholo Eats Quintly dog, a.k.a. the Sholo dog, a.k.a. the Mexican hairless dog, a.k.a. Dante from Disney's Coco. <laughs> oh, such a handsome boy. This is him. Oh, so I'm sure we've all seen them. I mean, if you've seen Coco, the little derpy dog that had his tongue sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Wow, those muscles are impressive. This this one's jacked, but (laughs) yeah, they're super cool dogs. I am so excited to share this with you guys. These ancient beauties go back 7,000 years. 7,000. And were the first domesticated around 5,500 years ago. Unlike dogs who are created by crossing and mixing two or more breeds, the Sholo dog is considered to be a natural breed. Meaning it's a result of spontaneous genetic mutation and just basically natural selection. So the dog that we have today is the dog that came over on the Bering Strait. It blows my mind. Yeah, that's crazy. Archaeological evidence suggests they accompanied the first humans to cross the Bering Strait from Asia, where they moved around to the jungles of Mexico, where they did really well because they're naked puppies and... You know, with the heat and stuff, it worked out pretty well for them. The standard Sholo can measure up to two feet tall at the shoulder, while miniatures are about a foot and foot and a half. And then there's a toy one that's less than a foot. Oh. <laughs> and their faces have been described as being thoughtful. And their overall looks have been described as elegant but rugged. <laughs> Which they are kind of sleek. Like they got the muscular bodies, but their face is a yeah. little rugged. They got the little hairs. While they're famously free of hair, there are actually two varieties of Sholo dogs. You have the hairless and then you have a coated. So the hairless variety has a tough hide that protects the dog and it protects them from scrapes and scratches. And they might have a few coarse hairs on their head. So some have like little mohawks, little tufts of hair. And some of them have a little bit of hair on their tails and their feet. And then the coated Sholo has very short, sleek coat all over their body. Wow, I feel like if I saw this dog in person, I would just fanboy over it because it's like <laughs> very yeah. regal. They are very regal. Okay, so the Solo's hairlessness, save for like a few little tufts of hair, is a genetic mutation. So it's very similar to the cats we talked about and the cat theme that have curly hair. So it's just like a freak genetic mutation that makes that happen. And like the cats, because of this mutation, it makes them pretty much hyperallergenic. Oh, well, that's good. So they're like super popular now, like they're making a resurgence because, you know, they don't have Mm -hmm. any allergens. Right. Which would be nice. I just recently found out that I have an allergy to dogs and I was like, well, that sucks. Oh. (laughs) My children. Were you just like sneezing a lot and... Well, it turns out I'm allergic to Texas, and I didn't (laughs) realize that when we moved here, and I thought I had the flu, and everybody was like you're a dumbass you're in texas and so i had to get allergy testing and they're like oh by the way you're allergic to dogs (laughs) like 
What? Yeah. Uh, it's a very minor allergy right now. Right. But I'm on allergy shots, so we should be good. But these mutations also are responsible for a dog's lack of premolars. So this is a very distinctive dental trait, which makes them really easy to identify in archaeological context. So when we talk about like knowing how old they are, the reason we know is because they're so easy to identify. Yeah, that is cool. The breed is generally a dark color, either black, gray, or bronze. And as they've evolved, some of them have turned more bronze or red. I thought this was hilarious. Since their skin produces protective oils, they can have acne. Aww. Aww. Poor baby muffins. Especially in their first year. So when they're like little doggy teenagers. Yeah, they're little <laughs> hormonal teenagers. <laughs> yeah. If you have a Sholo dog, their skin care is really important. Rule of thumb is to keep their skin clean by wiping them down with a damp cloth to remove dead skin cells. Oh. But you can't bathe them too often because that will strip them of their natural oils and it can clog up their pores. And then it says, use a light moisturizer after bathing. <laughs> and if they're in the sun, wear sunscreen. <laughs> oh. So, the, the, yeah, these dogs need a full-on skincare routine. Like, they need yeah. to take it seriously. I think it's like a sphinx cat. Like, they have, you know, anything hairless. It's such a weird antidote. But antidote. Oh, my God. Anecdote. Words, Kina. I used to work at PetSmart through college and we had hairless rats and guinea pigs. And even those, you had to like moisturize them because they yeah. would get skin irritations. Yeah, I've moisturized a rat before. That's a thing that's happened in my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, Doctor Who moisturized me. Anywho, unlike other dogs, the Mexican hairless actually sweats through their skin. So most dogs don't sweat, they pant. A solo dog can sweat under their arms when they're hot. I just find that adorable. I don't know why. Wow, they're like humans. They really are. And we'll get into why that's really cool here in a second. So a couple of more fun facts before we dive into the history. They have a really strong prey drive. So if you're a dog trainer, in modern day, that means you need to let them play and give them things to do or else they're just going to eat all your shit. But they're also known for being extremely calm and tranquil and loyal. And sometimes they'll bond to like one or two people and then they don't really like anybody else, which is how my Murray dog is <laughs> very bonded to us. Everybody else, he's like, I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know you. I'm going to bark at you. So that's fun. The Aztecs believed that the Sholo could protect the house from evil spirits and human intruders. But according to the American Kennel Club... <laughs> These dogs will speak up and let you know someone's here, but they're not going to do anything because they don't like strangers. <laughs> so they're not going to fight off an intruder. But they'll bark at it. Oh, interesting. They're very chill. And thanks to their hardy origins in the jungles, they're actually a really healthy breed and they're not prone to a lot of health conditions that a lot of dogs have. So like my boxer, you know, like hip dysplasia and all that stuff that he might get. But yeah, Shalos don't really have anything as long as you give them good food and you exercise. Mm, just kind of like the sturdy, robust dog kind of. Yeah. You know. And like we said, like they weren't bred to be a dog. So they don't because I know a lot of dogs that are bred to be a specific dog have a lot of health problems because of all the like inbreeding and all that stuff. Right. But yeah, yeah, these dogs have never had that. So they're just like pure dog. So nice. Super cool. So we're gonna take the way back machine to one of my favorite eras, the pre-Columbian Mexican era. I love Mesoamerican history. It is my jam. 
So like I mentioned before in the beginning, historians believe that the Sholo dog was the first domesticated dog to arrive in the Americas. According to the Sholo East Quintley Club of America, zoologists have recently stated categorically that there have been no wild canine in America which could have been the ancestor of any domestic dog. Yeah, it's really interesting to learn the origin stories of different breeds and, you know, just Mm -hmm. dogs in general. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to do the history of domestication next week because that's really fascinating too, Mm -hmm. like which dogs are the oldest. There is a wealth of evidence that suggests that, you know, before colonization, the pre-Columbian cultures like the Aztec, Toltec, Kalima, and Aztec held the Sholo in great esteem. They were used medicinally. And we'll get into that. They had religious significance and their little naked appearance was super important. There's evidence that they actually had like lotion like ointment to help maintain the dog's new state. Oh, <laughs> that's really nice that people did that for them back then. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd keep them all naked, but keep their skin all great. And apparently the recipe was lost to history, but they know that it exists because, you know. The, like especially Maya in particular had a really great written history. Keep the dogs no. naked. <laughs> <laughs> so the name derived from two words from the Aztec language Nahuatl. Nahuatl. No, nope. That sounds okay. Hillbilly out. Nahuatl. So Sholo is from Sholot, the Aztec god of like a lot of badass stuff. So lightning, fire, death, all the good stuff. And he's actually depicted as a dog-headed man in their mythology. And the second word is is Quintly, which means dog. So it just essentially means that God's dog. Mm-hmm. And together, the Sholo eats Quintly means he who snatches his food with teeth, sharp as obsidian, i.e. dog, and who is representative of the god Shodel. Yeah, that's a really meaningful complex name packed in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> so aztec and maya civilizations looked to the sholo doggo as a healer their fur-free bodies were heat conductors making them kind of like an ancient hot water bottle for the ill and the elderly oh. there were so many accounts of how they helped rheumatism so yeah if you have arthritis and you have a hot like a heating pad on you I'm sure you're gonna feel better and since they just conduct so much heat People are like, fuck yeah, give me that dog. <laughs> I would take one in a heartbeat. And there were like some accounts, people like, oh, their temperature is higher than a normal dog, but that's not actually accurate. Their temperature is the same. Just because they don't have hair, you're going to feel the heat more. Yeah. There was a quote that says, they know when you're sick and they zero right in where it hurts. And that's from Kay Lawson, who is the president of the Sholo Eats Quintly Club of America. You know, a lot of animals are kind of like intuitive when you don't feel good, you know, hang out with you or like, yeah, knee hurts. They'll go lay on it and stuff. I know. That's what I love about dogs, especially because they they really care about you and they, you know, they want to make you feel better. And they they have that almost like psychic intuition. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, they really picked up on that. So they were, you know, seen as healers. Shellos are still used. For company healers in remote Mexican and Central American villages, which I thought was really cool. And some believe that they prevented ailments like asthma, toothaches, insomnia, and rheumatism. But, you know, modern science has debunked the idea that a Sholo can cure all the ails you, like any dog. 
Like any dog, they have health benefits like lowering your blood pressure and stress, and they can ease loneliness. And I'm sorry for this next little historical fact. I'm going to speed through it and forgive me. But (laughs) they were also occasionally a food source, along with turkeys. Shola dogs were the only domesticated animals eaten by ancient Mesoamericans. Womp womp. Hmm. So we're going to speed on past that. Yeah, speeding on past that. (laughs) (laughs) I'd personally argue that the most important job they had was their religious job, and that was to guide their owners to the underworld. So it is believed in many cultures and religions that the dead need to be ferried across some sort of subterranean infernal river before their souls can reach the, you know, quote unquote, promised land. And according to the Aztec's belief, the god Sholot, who travels to the underworld to retrieve bones of the dead to make new life, he made the Sholot eloquently from a sliver of bones that were made to make humans, man himself, and made this dog. And then the deity gave this gift to man with the instruction that you had to guard this dog with your life. In exchange, the pupper would guide their master through the dangers of Mictlan, which was their underworld slash world of death it would eventually bring them to the evening star in the heavens so it was like a trade like the dog was made for man like a product of man and then that dog would be your companion throughout your life and then when you died your dog would take you to heaven i think it's just like super sweet i love that i do too i love dogs (laughs) i do too i would love that to be like you know when my time comes, it's like Murray dogs waiting for me. Like, I got you. Let's go. I know. I went to Catholic school and I remember. Do you remember that movie? All dogs go to heaven. Yes. That was such a cute movie. And I had this fourth grade teacher who she was about to become a nun, but then she didn't. And then became an elementary school teacher. She was really, really strict. She would try to like to feel like she's the high authority on catholicism and stuff and she was like dogs don't go to heaven only humans do but then some of our other teachers were like well francis of assisi was like the patron saint of dog or or animals and like Mm -hmm. if he's in heaven then the animals are in heaven so i i like to think that the dogs are in heaven oh me too (laughs) (laughs) i just can't imagine one where no i love the idea of the rainbow bridge you know like they're over there waiting for us and like yeah yeah That's how I get through pet death. (laughs) (laughs) Sholos are thought to have spiritual powers as well and to keep away all the bad spirits. So little Sholo figurines have been found in many tombs. And in some excavations, the remains of these dogs also accompanied their owners, which supports a theory that some of the dogs were actually sacrificed at the time of their owner's death so that the dog guide them through Miklon. So that's kind of a bummer. But, I mean, we see that in, like, other cultures, too, like Egypt. You know, a lot of animals were sacrificed to help them, too. And this is one of the little figurines that would be in a grave. So this, like, in Colima and its neighboring states like Jalisco, archaeologists estimate that more than 75% of burials from the pre-classic period, so that's about 300 BCE to, like, 300 CE, contain these, you know, figurines of these dogs. That's a huge percentage. So That is. Yeah, it really shows how they kind of revered them. I'm just going to geek out about art real quick. But yeah, these Sholo dogs showed up in art the second they just showed up in their civilization. So you can find them in sculptures. You can find them in paintings. 
And it wasn't just burial art. This was ceremonial. It depicted everyday life. It shows them as healers, as companions, as food. Um, But yeah, they were just like in every aspect of their life and their civilization, which is just really cool. Sholo bones have been found underneath the Templo Mayor or the main temple of the former Aztecs capital of Tenochtitlan, and that's in the center of like modern day Mexico City. So the fact that they're found in the most revered temple in their civilization just shows how important they were to their culture. And this is cool too. So according to legends, you know, we talked about how some of the Sholos have patchy hair. They thought these dogs were reincarnated so that their spirit would make this journey mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So the elites of this culture desired the patchy haired kind of, you know, raggedy, you know, shallows because they thought that they had, you know, taken more journeys. Like the rougher oh. they looked meant how many lives they had. So they preferred the, you know, the scary ones. <laughs> So if you had like the real sleek and shiny one, they'd be like, oh, he's a newbie. I want that one over there. <laughs> yeah, the one with some edge and experience. Yeah. <laughs> and these hairless canines later caught the eye of European colonizers like dickbag Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Fuck that guy. And 16th century Spanish missionary Bernardo de Sagan, who described how the Aztecs would tuck the Sholos in blankets at night to keep them warm. Aww. So they were just fascinated. Like they show up and they see these dogs and at first we're like, whoa, look at that thing. And then they're like, wait, they're tucking them in like children. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? And I also found it hilarious that they referred to them as, quote, strange hairless dogs, like in all their official notes. And one more time for good measure. Fuck Christopher Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody same. also in my tweet yesterday was like, why is Christopher Columbus on the top of your fuck you list? He should be at the bottom. And I'm like, don't tell me how to live my life. He sucks. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Come on. Is he like number one on your list or? Uh, he's two right now. I mean, Hitler's number one. I mean, that's a given. Uh, yeah. It's like in no particular order. I just feel better that Christopher Columbus is high up there. So, um, sorry about this, but we're going to double back to the eating thing for just a second colonizers you know showed up and they noticed that shallows were being eaten at religious ceremonies because of the powers they were thought to have and because they were considered a delicacy and they were served on at feasts and then also sacrificial ceremonies including like marriages and funerals so the spaniards were like oh yeah i mean this thing's pretty good they tried it and they're like holy shit this is amazing and they developed such an appetite for these poor little poppers that they were almost extinct. It ugh, just ate this dog into oblivion. You suck. I mean, you also destroyed an entire culture and civilization as well. So the, so the dogs have gone in and out of style. I hate how people say that about dogs, but, you know, like out of favor uh, since the yeah. conquistadors arrived in 1519 and just toppled the Aztecs, like completely destroyed their civilization. So there was a small resurgence in 1887, which was the first time the breed was recognized by the American Kennel Club. Except this time they called them Mexican hairless. They didn't call them by their actual names. There was this dog named Me Too, <laughs> who was the first Sholo registered with the AKC. And after that first flush of interest, little was really heard about the breed for a while. But the dog's big cultural comeback came after the Mexican Revolution in 1910. Revolution ousted dictator Porfirio Diaz and his Europhile ruling class. The new Mexican cultural elite, including 
Frida Kahlo and you know, her husband, Diego Rivera, set about reclaiming long stigmatized symbols of indigenous identity, including the Sholo dog. I love these pictures so much. Oh, I love Look at those puppies. <gasps> oh. oh. Kahlo and R- Rivera can be seen posing with their little puppers in so many photos. So there's like black and white photos of them just hanging out. But they had a whole bunch of them. He kind of looks like a seal. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of does there. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Little little sea puppy. I just love that photo of her. So her first dog who's seen here, and probably her favorite because he shows up in a lot of her art, his name was El Señor Sholod. So named after the god. (laughs) So I just love that she's, like, representing the Aztec heritage and the name. And he showed up in a lot of her paintings about death and divinity, which is, like, super symbolic of what that dog is like he's yeah. made from the bone of man by a god so like this painting in particular and all these pictures will be on social media and the website or you can join patreon shameless plug so this painting's really famous it's called the love embrace of the universe the earth mexico me and senor sholo and it was 1949 so he's down here on the arm a little curled up oh yeah she loves her symbolism Yes, and there's a lot of, I can't wait to talk about her. I haven't, you know, dive in there. A lot of people think that her love of animals, you know, stem from she couldn't have children. And that's why she, you know, just surrounded herself by so many little fur babies and stuff. So there's a lot of symbolism. Wow, I didn't know that. A cool little fun fact is 13 dogs who reside on the grounds of the Museo Dolores Olmedo are direct descendants of the puppies that belong to Carlo and Rivera. So they just kind of roam the museum freely and there's a lot of their paintings there. So they say, quote, to us, these dogs are living works of art, just like Rivera and Kahlo's paintings, says the curator, Josefina Garcia. I want to go there so bad now. I do, too. So, of course, you know, she was very fashionable. You know, everybody wanted to be like her. So because they had these, it was another spike. Everybody wanted a Sholo dog for a while. But sadly, they fell out of favor again, except for a brief time in 1940 when a dog named Chinito Jr. became the first and only Sholo to earn the AKC championship. (laughs) Womp womp. It's like, they're so cute. And they're so, I don't know why they don't win more awards. But Yeah. And the breed was first recognized by the Mexican Kennel Club on May 1st, 1956. Prior to that, the breed was only known to the remote parts of Mexico and Central America. And the Archduchess Felix of Austria, better known as the Countess Lascelles de Premio Riel, was a driving force behind the 1955 expedition led by Norman Pelman Wright into the Kalima jungle in order to find these dogs and then reintroduce them via an organized breeding program. Sadly, they nearly disappeared again after this, so much so that the AKC actually deregistered them in 1959, which I wasn't even aware they could take a dog off that list. The breed might have disappeared altogether, but fans have brought it back from the brink of extinction. Shellos have become cool again in the 21st century, and it's a dog of choice for like 20 and 30-somethings that are really proud of their Mexican heritage. So kind of like Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera, like this dog symbolizes their heritage, and people want them because they're like really just uniquely Mexican. Yeah. Like their history is just so incredibly enriched in their culture. So approximately 30,000 are known to exist worldwide now. 
The American Kennel Club brought back the breed into the fold around 2011. And the show currently resides at the intersection of like rarity and popularity. So they're super rare still, but they're super popular again. Mm-hmm. And they were designated the official dog of Mexico. And now they're recognized by all the dog kennel clubs. Tijuana soccer team has named their team the Sholos. And it's their little mascot. And they have their little heads on the logo, which is just adorable. Oh, I love that. And of course, like I mentioned in the beginning, the Sholo was featured in the Disney Pixar 2017 movie, Coco, where he helps guide him through the underworld. Uh Does it make sense now? It does. (laughs) It didn't click until... Yeah, it didn't click because I, I love that movie and I cry to it quite often. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, he was his guide. I was like, oh, he's so cute. Like I said, again, they're having another revival because they're hypoallergenic and those are super hot right now because everybody has allergies. <laughs> <laughs> but the only downside is that in recent American mythology, Sholos have been connected to the Chupacabra, which is, you know, a figure in Latin American folklore that preys on farm animals. So chupacabras probably don't exist. It's probably just a dog with mange, but, you know, urban legends and whatnot. But sometimes somebody might mistake them for a chupacabra and accidentally kill a Sholo dog. So PSA, don't hurt these sweet baby angels. Chupacabras probably don't exist. Probably. I don't know. Don't don't kill them, please. Yeah, don't, please. So anyway, that's the uh, history of the Sholo dog. Wow, it's really fascinating. And I love how there's so much history to the Sholo dog but it's also like the history is enriched with culture that really reveres it and has a spiritual element to it and and there's so many yeah it's amazing it's really fascinating yeah and the Aztec culture is the most recognizable for this but there Mm -hmm. are instances in the Maya culture like the codex of what is it Dresden they talk about these dogs too and it's the same thing it equates them with like a the god, the dog god. So it's it's very similar and it's kind of interesting how across different religions and stuff this pops up kind of the yeah. same origins. There were some people like, why does this look like the Egyptian one? I'm like, okay, but that that's a jackal. It's not the same thing. <laughs> like, yeah. He has a jackal head. Fun fact or not so fun fact, your hormones can basically impact every aspect of your general health. So if you're like me and you've had issues with doctors not taking very seriously or not running the tests that you would like them to, we have options. There is modern fertility for us uterus havers out there, and it is a comprehensive fertility hormone test that you can take at home. I got it so fast and I did the finger prick. I sent it in and I got my results back in nine days. It breaks it all down on this really amazing website that tells you everything from more or less how many eggs you have, if you're wanting to conceive in the future. It can give you all your hormone levels related to PCOS, which is a condition one in 10 uterus havers have. And then you get a general hormone health review. And these tests can cost about $1,500 without insurance. But this test at home is just $159. And you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to wear pants. You don't have to talk to another human. I was sold, obviously. For me personally, I got the results back. And I was able to print out a packet and give to my doctor. And 
tell them that I had concerns about PCOS and they looked at my results and they're like, yeah, you're on to something. So they got me a referral to an endocrinologist that officially diagnosed me after running a couple of more tests to kind of dive in a little bit deeper for their liking. But I found out that not only do I have PCOS, I am insulin resistant, which is why I was having so much trouble losing weight. Insulin resistance just kind of dumps sugar and makes your body hold on to fat. So the more cardio I was doing, the more weight I was gaining, and it was really frustrating. So this test was really the first step into figuring out kind of a problem I was having, and it was the first step in me being able to fix it. So I couldn't recommend it more. And my experience is more about finding out how to be healthier, but it's also amazing if you are wanting to conceive in the future or now to kind of get an idea where you're at. One in six couples are going to have trouble conceiving. So it's very common, even though it's not really talked about enough, I don't think. But with this first step, you can kind of get an idea where your hormones are, how likely it is that you're going to conceive, if you might need to go see a doctor. So it's definitely something to consider if tiny humans are in your future or if you're like me and you just want to be healthier and you want to know what's going on inside your body. So if you would like $10 off your Modern Fertility Kit, go to modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Once again, that is modernfertility.com slash historical AF. So I didn't really know what to do at first, but I was like, you know what? What about dog actors? Because I feel like dog actors lived really weird lives. They were celebrities, you know, that's not normal for a dog to just be in a movie, to have a call time, to, you know, be paid sometimes more than the actors, as we will get into. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, so this is Beethoven. We all know and love Beethoven. I hope he, if you don't know, he was a big dog in sort of like the 90s, I would say those movies came out. The real Beethoven, the actor, is named Chris. Dog named Chris. <laughs> and oh, um, I love that. So once Chris was cast, I don't know too much about Chris's backstory. I couldn't find that much, but Chris was cast in Beethoven as sort of the main one because, you know, there were some other stand ins for Beethoven. And the dog trainer, Carl Miller, was hired to work with Beethoven and, you know, train the dogs. And Beethoven kind of had to, you know, be trained to to act untrained, you know, to be rambunctious and a ferocious eater and, you know, being really agile. And, you know, St. Bernard's, they're not actually really like that as their breed. So they kind of had to train them to be a little crazy. The training it wasn't, you know, about being super disciplined and whatnot. It was about being, you know, kind of just a hectic dog, which is really fun. Yeah, you never think about that. The movies having to be trained to be a bad dog, <laughs> like actually yeah. bad, but on cue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to be going through different dog actors. So this is just the first one because I feel like this is the first like dog actor movie, you know, movie that really centered on a dog that I remember growing up. And Chris was so successful. And of course, if you've seen Beethoven, you've probably seen Beethoven 2, which is, I think, just as good. And Chris also starred in the sequel. I'm sorry, I keep laughing. It's just like his name being Chris. It's just I, too much. I love it when people name their dogs like, <laughs> like Ted and Chris. Yeah. 
Oh, it's too fun. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And Chris sadly passed away shortly after filming the sequel. But after filming the sequel, he enjoyed retirement with the trainer, Carl, and his family. So he had a good life. And Aww. as you will see in this in this segment, there's a lot of the, the trainers just become so close with the dog actors. It's really unbelievable. And and they kind of cement this lifelong bond. And it's really sort of in, inspiring. And some other facts, uh, eight additional dogs worked as stunt doubles and understudies for Chris. Oh, wow. <laughs> and 16 puppies of various sizes played the role of Beethoven. Oh, you know, Beethoven walked so Marley could run and Marley and me. Yeah. And we're going to get to Marley. Oh, that movie wrecked me. Oh, so, <laughs> so good. So Marley was played mainly by Clyde. I think Clyde was like, not when he was like an adolescent, but like after he was an adolescent, when he was kind of just like, the main for, for the main part it was played by Clyde, but there were 22 different Labrador retrievers at different stages in their lives playing Marley, which is really amazing. And like Beethoven, Marley was trained to act untrained, you know, to be mm-hmm. rambunctious and stuff, you know, rewarded when they tear thump tear something to shreds or yeah. act a little crazy. But I love Marley and Me. Oh, such a good movie. And oh, it was. It was so good. Marley deserves an Oscar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so good. A tearjerker for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh. Back to Beethoven a little bit. So Carl Miller, the guy who trained Chris, also trained another St. Bernard. Can anyone guess who that is it, character is? It is it Hooch? No, it's oh. um <laughs> Am I am I showing my age? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually Cujo. Oh shit, that's even worse. Okay. I know. Which I I've only seen I, I was scared to watch this movie. My dad is like obsessed with Cujo and anytime we would run into like an aggressive dog or a dog that just barked too much, he would yell, Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I've always like just Cujo's always been in the back of mind. So this is not to be confused. This is not the same actor dog <laughs> as Beethoven. It's just the same trainer. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this is actually really like kind of wild, a little bit, a little sad story. So Cujo was played by five different St. Bernards and they had trouble training these dogs to act like Cujo because you know St. Bernard's are, are they're so lovable they're so like friendly and good dogs and they had trouble you know making them scary and you know making them growl and a lot of times they would just like you know smile and you know stick out their tongue <laughs> yeah so sometimes they they did have Rottweilers standing in which you know I don't love this movie because it's like it kind of just paints you know, dogs in a bad light, you know, especially mm-hmm. bigger breeds who have, you know, more pronounced features. Yeah. But there was also not just five St. Bernards, but there was also a mechanical head replica replica that played Cujo and also a man in, in a dog costume. 
<laughs> which funny. is pretty wild, you know. What this came out in the is this eighties or is that yeah? Earlier? I think it's yeah. I think it's seventies or eighties. Yeah, nineteen eighty three. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it's based on the nineteen eighty one Stephen King novel. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I you now that you say it, it makes perfect sense. Like, yes, Saint Bernard wouldn't act like that at all. It's not in their nature. They're the most cuddly, sweet little drooly, tongue out, tail wagon dogs ever. So, yeah. yeah, it would be very uh, difficult to make them vicious and yeah. terrifying. And something sad that I mean, I'm not sure if it's because of the film, but I feel like it might have happened because of the film is. The main dog who played Cujo, well, I don't even know that that dog's name because it's been really hard to find the names of the dogs for some reason. Like there's, I feel like there was a lot of sketchy stuff that happened to these dogs during this film. You know, doesn't it kind of give you that vibe? Like they weren't treated the best. Like, and the main dog suffered a death, an untimely infection death Mm -hmm. right after it wrapped the production wrap. Yeah. I imagine early eighties probably didn't have regulations that newer movies yeah. have for pets and like safety. And like, they probably didn't have the people that are on set making sure all the animals right. Yeah. Okay. The, the animal welfare people. And, yeah. And PETA yeah. wasn't like knocking on their door. <laughs> Breathing down well. their necks. Yeah. <laughs> I think I yeah. was watching something about when they were, I think it was into the wild or something, the new mm-hmm. one that just came out and it showed how many people on set were watching the dog in the water to make sure the dog was okay and not stressed out and happy. Oh, <laughs> and wow. it was like really interesting. Cause you know, a lot of dogs would panic, but they had trained them to be fine. But yeah, they had people watching for like signs of any kind of stress to pull them out. But I'm like, mm. I don't think they would have done that in the eighties. I'm sure. Yeah. Very stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of sad. Like, I feel like they wanted to like stress out the dogs too, because yeah. they had to get this performance out that they're mm-hmm. not sort of predestined or, you know, they're not used to doing, they're not used to being this aggressive. So I feel bad for those dogs, but anyways, moving on to happier times. <laughs> yes, we oh. go to the sentimental Lassie, which we all love. Timmy's in the whale. <laughs> so Lassie was actually played by a boy. Oh. Yeah, and the boy Collie, that's the breed. The boy Collie was played by Pal. That's the name, which is really oh. cute and wholesome. It is. <laughs> yeah, so this is for the 1943 original Lassie. So Pal was actually given up by his owner because the owner just couldn't, you know, handle taking care of Pal and Pal was being a little rambunctious. So his owner gave up Pal to a studio dog training school that was run by the Weatherwax Brothers, which I really love that last year. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So the Weatherwax Brothers, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, there was a lot of like, I mean, there wasn't a lot, but there were a few dog training schools because dogs became really popular in movies in the 40s and the 50s. Mm-hmm. So Pal was sent to the Weatherwax. The, that's a tongue twi- twister. <laughs> Pal was sent to the Weatherwax Brothers and the Weatherwax Brothers saw the potential in Pal to, you know, be really good at training and 
and they found out that MGM, which is, you know, the huge studio back then was doing a movie called Lassie, Come Home. I didn't know this, but Elizabeth Taylor is in it. That's Elizabeth Taylor um, as a young girl, which I had no idea. Well, now that you say it, I see it. Yeah, you totally see it, you know. I didn't realize this was the 40s either. I I know. (laughs) It's It's such like a pop culture thing that I guess, you know, I just didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there were so many spinoffs and everything. And Mm -hmm. and lastly, this is also really interesting. In the spinoffs and the TV show and, you know, the other movies, Lassie was played by a direct descendant of Pal. So it's all in the family. Yeah. Isn't that That pretty special? Yeah. Yeah. That is a fun fact. Yeah. And also another fun fact, which I think is is pretty fair. And I'll get to that in a second. But Pal actually earned more than his co-star, Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Pal is the star. Pal is the protagonist. So I feel like Pal deserves the money, right? Yeah. I'm sure child actors didn't make a whole lot back then either. That's true. Yeah. This was before the child actor laws that (laughs) protected them. So. But Elizabeth Taylor, she did, she did okay. <laughs> she did, yeah, she did pretty good. <laughs> so Powell lived with Rudd Weatherwax until the end of Powell's life at the age of eighteen, which is you know wow. pretty long, pretty long life. And he died in nineteen fifty eight, and he's buried on the Weatherwax Ranch, which I don't know if that still exists. I'm gonna look that up. But. Oh, that's cool. That is a really long life for a puppy. I like that. Oh, wow. So the Weatherwax Ranch Grounds, they're actually in North Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, which is, you know, a 30-minute drive away from me. So I should go oh, visit yeah. and try to search for Lassie's grave. <laughs> yeah, send pics. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> you guys can all have a socially distanced party. There's a bunch of you in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we will go to Lassie's grave and share our favorite memories. So do you have any favorite, like, memories from any of the dog actors that i've mentioned so far i mean i'm sure the the ones i'm going to mention in a second you'll like to but any, any like favorite dog actors on the top of your head uh so far beethoven's probably the most i don't think i know i watched cujo but my mom is a stephen king freak so <laughs> i know i saw that but yeah i didn't even remember he was a saint bernard, bernard. Yeah. yeah so so far beethoven's the only one that i've like watched repeatedly right yeah, I, I'm kind of the same. I mean, I watched Marley and Me too because, you know, I was like oh, yeah, very Marley. melodramatic in middle or <laughs> not middle. I think I was like in high school when that came out, but I was very melodramatic and yeah. <laughs> I saw it once, but I cried so hard that I haven't. I know it's got some movies I just can't watch twice because they're so sad. Yeah. <laughs> But it was so, it was a beautiful movie. And yeah. I think it really beautifully shows what it's like to have a pet and spend your life, you know, their entire totally. life. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like we didn't, we haven't had a movie like that. And I think that was a really, yeah. really powerful yeah. movie. I mean, I, I mean, at least like, you know, in the recent years. Oh, so, <laughs> Now we have Airbud, which was another like childhood favorite. I feel like Beethoven came first and then Airbud. And I was obsessed with Airbud. Like I've seen like, I mean, I haven't seen the recent ones because I know they kind of brought it back, but I've seen like mm-hmm. most of the Airbud movies. Oh man, and... that was '90s, right? Airbud. Yeah, 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 like like late '90s. Late 90s. Yeah, 
So Airbud was actually played by Buddy, which, you know, is pretty fitting. <laughs> <laughs> and Buddy was found wandering in the woods of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Oh, my god! Right? Isn't that crazy? Oh, a little yeah. rescue. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of see a theme. Like, there's a lot of these star actors, they kind of started from nothing. You know, they they were, they had no one. And, and they found oh. their their voice and their talent, which I really love. And so Buddy found his trainer, Kevin D. De- I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> Buddy yeah. found his trainer, Kevin DeCicio. And after finding Buddy while on a camping trip, Kevin brought him home in 1989. Oh, So he's known for his original iconic performance playing basketball while being a golden retriever in <laughs> Air Bud. Quite a talent. Yeah. And basketball's hard. And Buddy could actually play basketball. Like he could play basketball, he could play soccer, football, hockey. Like he could really, really do it all. Like he was really, really talented. And like it, it's amazing. Like he was on the David Letterman show. He also played. Oh, wait, this is a good question for people listening and for you. He played a very famous TV dog on a family show from the 90s. Can you guess? But only one episode, but it's a golden retriever. Can you guess who it is? The Full House? Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. So he played Comet in an episode where Comet was playing basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I think I watched every one of those. I know Full House was so good in Comet. I think they have like Comet 2.0 in the Netflix reboot. I can't remember what his name is, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they did bring a Comet. I think I think they're like supposed to be a descendant of Comet. I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a sweet little boy! I know. I I love these movies. They're so fun, and I feel like there's been a decline. I mean, obviously with uh, you know, anime and cgi like we don't really have these live action real animal you know real animals doing these crazy things like we did like remember that movie i forget what it was called it was like about the chimpanzee that was like a snowboarder did you ever see that i I don't think so yeah i was watching that like a couple months ago with my friend and i was like this is actually crazy that i'm watching a chimpanzee like do extreme sports (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's called Most Extreme Primate MXP. Yeah, that's what it was called. It came out in 2004. Check it out. I I think it's streaming somewhere. Um, but oh yeah, it's on Hulu. If you have Hulu, oh, check out funny. MXP, and it's on HBO Max. But it's a wild, wild movie. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, like you know, these dog actors, I feel like they're not doing as extreme, amazing spectacle stuff. I mean, maybe they are. If they are, please let me know because I would love to check them out. So wrapping up Air Bud, Buddy was twice nominated for a Kids' Choice Award as the favorite (laughs) animal star, which I think is really cute. That's precious. Okay, so up next, we have a dog that loved to wear pink. Oh! It's Bruiser from Legally Blonde. Oh, I love that movie. (laughs) I know, so good. I love Bruiser. He's so cute. So fashionable. Yeah, totally. So I couldn't find too much 
information about bruisers growing up and everything. But, you know, he was just a groundbreaker, I feel like, for Chihuahuas, especially. You know, I feel like Chihuahuas became really popular after this movie. And he gave some Chihuahuas some good representation. He was also (laughs) trained by the same trainer that trained the Chihuahua that was famous for the Taco Bell commercials. Oh, yeah. Um, Yo quiero Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but young people don't even remember that commercial. Yeah. You know, Bruiser formed a really close bond with Reese Witherspoon and really, really well-trained, smart animal. And his real name is Mooney. Oh, Full name that. is Mooney Do- Doogie. <laughs> <laughs> And he sadly passed away in 2018. Um, And Reese did a really amazing tribute on Instagram. And she said, with a sad heart, I have to let all the Legally Blonde fans know that Bruiser Woods, also known as Mooney, passed away yesterday. He was a sweet little chihuahua who was very loved. I will never forget all the days we spent together. I'm sure his tail is wagging in the sky, sending love to his trainer, the wonderful at Tail Sticks. That's their Instagram name. Oh, really sad. Sweet. I know. I'm sad he's not. He's not going to be in the the new sequel because they're going to do a Legally Blonde three, which I'm really yeah. excited about. Plus, yeah, he was like the first Chihuahua that's just like the dressing up and the bags, and yeah, that was really big after that. Everybody wanted like a doggy to carry around and dress up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I feel like he definitely probably. I mean, this is like. I totally see the connection between like this and like Paris Hilton. I feel like Paris yeah. Hilton must have loved this movie because you could totally <laughs> see the influence. Oh, it's true. Yeah. And Bruiser, I, I don't, I didn't research much about this, but Bruiser is also a character in Legally Blonde, the musical, which if you haven't checked out is really, really fun. And they do have a little Bruiser running around in that. Oh, I love that. Okay, so next up we have... Now, this is a dog that I'm not super familiar with. Like, I haven't seen the movies, but I've definitely seen him. So this is Uggy. (laughs) And he was in Water for Elephants and The Artist. And The Artist was that, like, black and white silent film that won the Oscar a few years, like, five years. Or six years ago? I'm not sure. Maybe it was like more than Time that, has no more meaning. <laughs> yeah. No more no meaning. Okay. I do remember him from Waterfall Vince. I really like that movie. Yeah. So he's a Parson Russell Terrier. And he, again, was rejected by his two owners. Oh, he ended up two? in a, Yeah. He had two oh. owners. And he almost ended up in a shelter, actually. Oh. And he was adopted by trainer Omar Von Mueller, who recognized Uggie's intelligence, fearlessness, work ethic, and willingness to learn, which is really, really amazing because he just saw the star quality. And he does have that star quality. Like, he yeah. has a bow tie on. He's so handsome. <laughs> yeah. Like many up-and-coming actors, his first work was in commercials and minor roles and, you know, short films here and there you know he was a working actor he really you know tried his best and persevered and 
His breakout role was in Water for Elephants, where he starred alongside Reese Witherspoon, who we just talked about, and Robert Pattinson, and he played Queenie. And uh, yeah, he really stole the show in that movie. In 2012, that was... Okay, so that's when The Artist came out. (laughs) And he got the opportunity to star with human actor, not dog actor, Jean Dujardin. I probably butchered that in the artist, which is an homage to silent films. And he plays the loyal companion of the main character, Jack. And there were two stunt doubles for Uggy, but he actually did most of his tricks and he was so good that some critics thought he stole every scene and deserved, you know, an Oscar nomination or, you know, and and I do think that, you know, actor or I do think that animal actors should be considered for Oscar nominations for like acting. Like I remember in like the I don't know if you saw that movie War Horse. It was like a yeah. Steven Spielberg movie. I thought the horse was like the best actor in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I think sometimes I mean, the act, Yeah, sometimes the animals should really they deserve their praise, you know. Yeah. After retirement, he lived with his trainer's family and he sadly passed away from cancer in 2015. You can read more about him in his autobiography, Uggy, My Story. (gasps) Oh, how cute! (laughs) Yeah. Love it. Wait, I just want to give a shout out to Natalie. She said that she worked backstage at the Traveling Broadway show for Legally Blonde, the musical. And she said that they were really strict with who could be in, in the wings with the dog who played bruiser to not distract him. That's really cool. interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. Which makes sense. Cause there's so much going on backstage. Yeah. I'm at sure. a theater. Yeah. Okay. And next up, this is the last one I have, but I saved, I think the best for last and it's none other than our favorite <gasps> Toto. Oh Yeah. So Toto's story is really just amazing. So Toto, again, kind of playing with like dogs that were playing different genders, you know, breaking gender barriers and gender norms. Toto, which is a male character, you know, in the books and everything. Toto was played by Terry, which is a female. And so she's a Karen Terrier, super, super small she was born on November 17th, 1933. Oh, wow. And she's a Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> so she was an abandoned stray. Again, oh. the abandoned strays. And she was adopted by this really kind German couple who lives in America, I believe, at the time. And she spent three weeks hiding under the bed. Like, she was super, super anxious and shy. She peed on the carpet all the time. Like, she was just, you know, she wasn't given the love that she deserved, you know? So she was just kind of an emotional wreck, which, honestly, we can all be at sometimes. No yeah. judgment. So her owners, they they really had their work cut out for her. And they brought her to Carl Spitz Hollywood Dog Training School. Which, you know, again, in the 40s and 50s, Hollywood training schools were really big. So Spitz actually, he trained dogs in the military and the police force during World War One, And he decided to open up his own school because he knew that 
it was a hot ticket to get a dog to star in a movie or a TV yeah. show. So Terry, she landed her first role in the 1934 romantic comedy Ready for Love, though she wasn't given a credit. But later that year, she got her big break as Shirley Temple's canine companion in Bright Eyes playing Rags, which was, you know, Shirley Temple's best friend. And I remember watching that movie at my grandma's house. So it was funny <laughs> to like, I didn't know that to put one and two together. You know? Yeah, I didn't think about that either. So when word got out that Hollywood was adapting L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz, Terry's trainer Spitz trained with more attention and diligence because he knew Terry was like destined for this part because she was really like his star student. And she was also just the exact lookalike of what the illustrations showed of Mm -hmm. Toto in the Wizard of Oz illustrations from the book. So she beat out 100 dogs to play Toto. And she formed an instant bond with Judy Garland. She earned $125 per week. And that was more than a lot of the human actors on the film. (laughs) And I love this. She hid behind actors when wind machines were activated for special effects and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she was really, you know, just such a trooper, such a sport. And sadly, she was stepped on by one of the witches soldiers like the wicked witch of the west like stepped on her foot and she had a minor injury but she was able she bounced back she's (laughs) a fighter and she would go on to you know finish filming wizard of oz and she would star in many films 17 feature films in 11 human years which is 80 films in 57 dog years which Yeah, so she was like a veteran dog actor, you know? She really had a lifelong career. She's like the Judy Garland of dogs. Yeah, totally. So she died on September 1st, 1945, and her daughter, actually, named Rami, followed in her footsteps and appeared in some films as well. She also has a biography like Uggy called I Toto, (laughs) the biography. The autobiography of Terry, the dog who was Toto. Oh, that's so cute. I know. I feel like we should start a book club with all these dog autobiographies. Yes. <laughs> I need to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> that is and just she, so fun. Yeah. And I know people were saying that they'd be down to like do a Lassie meetup, but I mean, we could even like make a day out of it and like do a little dog gravesite tour because <laughs> I believe. She was buried at Hollywood Forever Cemetery because mm-hmm. there's actually a statue, a little bronze Toto statue in Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which I need to see like as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. That's all. Yeah. Oh, that's one of the big cemeteries where a bunch of famous. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like it's all like old Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So those are some of my favorite dog actors. That was so interesting. I think one of the earliest movies I remember is like Turner and Hooch. Mm-hmm. So that was like 80s, I think. Oh, I love that dog. So drooly. I'm so glad you did this. I think dog actors are so fascinating. But yeah. also it's just so cool to think of like the old Hollywood, like how in- dogs were just doing so well and better than their human counterparts. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I really think it's it's really inspiring how a lot of them came from 
just being totally abandoned, you know, to being these celebrities. It's really that rags to riches story, you know, and Mm -hmm. I love that. That was really sweet. Most of them are rescues. I'm a big uh, adopt, don't shop fan. Yeah, same. Save the little precious babies. Yes, yes. Put them in a movie. Make them famous. Yes. (laughs) Get a book deal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. I know. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a blast. Yeah, it's been great. And you'll have to come on Fatal Fortune sometime, too. Oh, absolutely. That'd be fun. here for it. And thanks for being so uh, patient with Texas. (laughs) Oh, of course. Anything for Texas. (laughs) I want to thank Will again for joining me from Fatal Fortunes Podcast. Listen, so I was editing this episode today, and I feel like the cats had all decided to sabotage the dog episode. And my cat jumped on my laptop and turned my computer off before I had saved anything. So thank God for autosave because (laughs) my cat almost deleted the dog episode. So that was fun. If you would like to watch this whole episode unedited and a video form where you can see all the photos, join Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. If you'd like to send in an email for the extra AF episode, that's historical AF pod at gmail.com. If you'd like to check out the merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. If you don't want to remember any of this and just want one link, go to historicalafpodcast.com. We are also kicking off a new extra episode called Nerdy AF, where I have guests come on and just geek the fuck out about something they love, like history, or people they discovered, places they've been something they've experienced. So if you're interested in guesting in that, send me an email at historicalafpod at gmail.com. And I will see you guys next week. My guest is whining about her story podcast and we will be back with Dogs Part 2. Okay, bye! Hey, y'all. Hey, it's your girl Tamara Dawn, host of Tamara Till the Break of Dawn podcast. Now join me every Thursday on your favorite podcast platform and hop on my train of thought as I talk about the foolishness I'm going through and the ways I'm trying to grow. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamra underscore the underscore Dawn. Now every other letter is an A in Tamra, but make sure y'all check me out every Thursday on your favorite podcast platform.